Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to help women rise into the leadership positions they covet. Now, I know this continues to be a big struggle due to outdated beliefs. Some are environmental that seem to be forced upon us. Some are due to archaic processes that also seem to be forced upon us. Some are because we as women just frankly can't get out of our own way. Now, we just launched Fourth White Women based on this overwhelming need we feel to really help women overcome what is holding us back and really to bring together for our own sometimes selfish reasons, yeah, true. <laughs> like, like-minded women who feel the same way, right? We, we just, I mean, we looked, but we just couldn't find a group that we resonate with that was truly embracing these beliefs. And so we do what a lot of people do. It's like, well, we're just going to start our yeah. own then, right? Exactly. And we want you to join us because we're hearing that many of you haven't found these groups either. So this episode is all about how we set up forthright women and what is inspiring this conversation. And it's all about then the critical beliefs needed to help women rise into leadership positions. Yes. And I often talk about this or in conversations with Anne and since we've started forthright women about being on the other side and Mm -hmm. feeling like I've gotten over the hump of a lot of the things we're going to talk about today and realized how capable I am, but then to Anne's point, not being able to find other people that feel like they're in the same place. And so to her point, we were like, well, we can't find it. We may as well go ahead and create it. And I will say that this was a take a deep breath moment for me because Mm -hmm. it was stressful to put myself, ourselves out there and talk about some of the things that we talk about. But like Ann said, we've recently just launched and we had a first event and I think we're gaining the right traction. So therefore, having this episode and feeling like we're on to something, so we're going to continue the conversation and push forward. Yeah, that's exactly right on. And you may be sitting here listening and wondering if this is for you. If you have ambition to rise to a higher level, whatever that looks like for you, this is for you. If you want to start your own business, this is for you. It doesn't mean we expect everyone to be a CEO or want to be a a CEO. We just want you to reach the level where you feel the most fulfilled. So in doing that, as April kind of alluded to, we're going to be kind of putting a lot of things on the table. We might be making some controversial statements. We might be citing some situations that might be a little bit uncomfortable or feel a little bit taboo. We just ask you to be open so we can start generating the conversation because if we don't address it, we can't change it. Amen. Right? And if this is feeling like something that is for you and you love this episode, obviously rate and review the episode, but also con- <laughs> shameful plug, <laughs> of course, <laughs> always. But um, contact us through our website, forthright-people.com and, and through our contact page and say that you want to be more involved. We don't have everything yet established on our page. It's going to be coming soon. But if this is something you want to be a part of and you want to continue to hear about this, then uh, contact us and we'll put you on the list. All right. With that, let's jump into 
four beliefs critical in helping women rise in leadership. The first one is we can be good moms and good leaders. Okay. We sure can. Yes. Um, many feel, and I know April and I have both felt this in, in various parts of our career progression, that you can only be one or the other. And to achieve the one, a compromise needs to be made. And yes, we would say choices need to be made, but it's our own filter that defines these as compromises. And this is what we really want to address. This is a little bit what we want to debunk, okay? Because what causes this feeling that we have to make a compromise? And there's two key situations. Usually it's when women decide they're going to shy away from a demanding leadership position because of their perceived assumptions of how it's going to impact their home life, right? Mm -hmm. That's a very common misconception in a lot of cases, and that's what we want to address. And if that doesn't get you, the mom guilt will. Yeah. Right? That's the second one. So that's another one we want to address. Now, when you pull these two circumstances together, this creates a devastating event in which females just don't have a path forward in order to rise. They just kind of get stopped right there. So our pipeline basically dries up. So in order to overcome this, we need to look at our roles of mom and leader differently and adopt some new behaviors that address this perception and the guilt so we can make choices without feeling like it's a compromise all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a few of these, and then I'm going to ask April to uh, to provide some of her perspective on these too. So first is women need to create a, uh, and leverage their village, right? And they need to feel okay about doing it. And even more, we need to understand that it can be good for our kids to have exposure to others who can be caregivers. That means we need to ask others for help. Right. And not just default to that. It has to be us, especially if there is a conflict between work and life. So this is a really big one because we hear this a lot. Uh, We hear this when women decide that they're not going to do evening events because they're responsible for picking up the kids, taking the kids here, taking the kids there. Uh, We hear on business trips. They can't go on business trips because they need to take care of the kids. These are really big realities. We know that they're realities. But what we want you to realize is that this is a choice that you're making. And if you can have a village around you to support you, you may be able to make different choices. So for example, I'm taking one of Corinne's soccer mates to Indy. Her parents can't be there for the noon game tomorrow on, I guess tomorrow is on Friday, right? A noon game game on Friday. Right. Her parents have to work. I have some flexibility. I can do that. I can take her. They're coming later. Right. That is an ask that actually their daughter made of Corinne to ask me. So we even have the girls making that and arranging that. Right. So sometimes the parents don't even need to get involved. And I mean, not to mention all these cultures have the the generational family that lives underneath one roof. I mean, this is how they've been living for years. So our village just extends beyond our doors a little bit more than some of these other circumstances. But the key is, is asking. And the key is developing those relationships that you so you feel comfortable asking. The next one here is women need to feel okay in choosing ourselves. As we talked about in previous episodes, when we talk about personal brand characteristics that hold back aspiring female leaders, and April just did a fantastic talk about this at the Northern Kentucky Chamber, empathy and caregiving can get in the way of pursuing what is best for us. These tend to be two personal brand characteristics that we over-index in as women. And that means that we tend to put others ahead of ourselves because it feels like the right thing to do. And that can really dramatically compromise our own health, our own mental well-being, our own energy, our own ambitions. Now, we aren't suggesting you become self-consumed narcissist, <laughs> but you should ask, why do you feel like this? Like, what is that that is making you feel like you can't choose yourself? Is it rooted in the traditional male-female roles? 
Is this because that's what our moms did for us? Or what maybe they or other moms feel like we should do? So what we say here is, is, is instead, know when you choose yourself, you're sending the message to your kids, both male and female, to your direct reports, both male and female, to those who are watching you in this world, both male and female, that it's okay to choose yourself. Yes. So you're being the model, you're setting this up. I'm going to give one more, and then I know I've been talking a really long time, and I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> and I'm chomping at the bit, which I know, I know is shocking. I know, I know, I know. This is a really long point, but then I'm going to be quiet for, like, at least a couple seconds. <laughs> the, the, the third point is here we need to question the guilt. So why do certain situations and decisions cause us guilt, right? Again, we have to go back to the belief system. Is it actually what we believe, or is it what someone imposed on us, right? And that happens a lot. Do we feel if we aren't 100% present for our kids that we're somehow failing them, that they will hate us? (laughs) So these are really deep-seated fears, and they cause a lot of challenges and roadblocks for us to be able to make certain decisions or certain choices that are in our own personal best benefit. I mean, the truth is, is if you're going to want to aspire to these higher positions, your family can't always come first. That's just really the reality of the situation. You're going to have to make some choices where you're going to have to choose work first. But that doesn't mean your family suffers as a result. It just means new expectations need to be set. Again, I'll bring up Corinne Soccer. This has been a big one for us because last year she played on three teams. We told her, we're not going to be at every game. If you want to be on play on three teams, that's fine. You're going to have to help us find ways to get you there and get you back. And we're not going to come to indoor soccer games if it's not our weekend, for example, because you know we split uh, parroting. Because I see that as more practice. Okay, I get that. Mm -hmm. That's fine. You know, so you start just resetting those expectations. All right. I'll stop talking for a second. April. Well, one thing I do want to say, too, because I know that that comment you just made before I get into my diatribe around family not always coming first. I think that that is one that people hear and they're like, what? But what we're actually saying is that or what we're not saying is that they can't ultimately be at the very list of your top of your priorities. It's just that that doesn't mean or translate to every single thing that's happening, they get to come first, right? right? And I think that that is worth emphasizing because to me, that is a huge mindset shift. And everything that you said around, you know, the point that of leveraging the village and finding other ways to get kids to and from practice, you know, if it's being at every single game, especially if they're playing multiple sports or you have multiple children in sports at the same yeah. time. I mean, these are very big realities. And one of the things that I have started to think about and internalize that might be helpful is what do I actually remember about whatever age I was and what my parents mm-hmm. were there for? And those are the things that I try to use as the lens for when my family does come first. So I don't remember my parents being at every single game I played when I was seven, like my son, right? So when Bryce and I decided to go to Montreal for the first adults-only weekend we'd had in a year, I didn't feel bad about that. And when he scored his first goal and I missed it, I didn't feel bad about that because guess what? My dad was there. Bryce's parents were there. My sister was there. He wasn't mad that mom and dad missed his first goal. He was excited that his village was there in whatever capacity showed up to see him score that first goal, right? So I just think we've got to be more realistic about how necessary we are in these moments and how we prioritize. So I'm just going to put that out there. I think that's super, super good point. 
And then on my end, one of the things that I have talked about before on the show and one of the things that I try to live is fluidity in my life. And so when I think about guilt and getting over the guilt and getting over that hump that I talked about before, the last agency I was at in theory could have been the one where I could have found a life as a mom and a life as an executive and it could have worked. Mm -hmm. But what actually ended up happening is there were too many instances where I felt guilt because I was in a meeting that actually didn't matter instead of picking up Sam on time, right? right. Like it was like the – in theory on paper it looked good. Yeah, it looked good, right? But I just couldn't get my head around the fact that I was participating in 40 hours of meetings a week if I wanted – to get out of some, to go do something that I perceived more important, it was way too much work on my end. And not that it wouldn't have been condoned, it just didn't feel right, mm -hmm. right? And so that was kind of the aha moment of getting myself out of that situation. And now I find that I can avoid the guilt by being able to fluidly flex throughout the day on whatever needs to happen. And so as I was writing my comments on this episode at 7.45 in the morning earlier this week, Mia doesn't start school until nine and Bryce is here this week. So he took Sam to school. So guess what? She's sitting next to me at my desk with her breakfast and yes, her iPad. Go ahead and judge away. <laughs> <laughs> Quietly working, quote unquote, alongside mom, right? And so in really embracing this moment of writing this episode, when I was finished, I turned to her and I said, Mia, I just want to say thank you. You sitting here quietly and entertaining yourself is helping mom be a better worker, which makes her business do better. And she got this smile on her face. And those are the types of things I won't forget, right? right. Because she felt really appreciated and proud of herself. And then I got the little you're welcome, which right now is pronounced y'all welcome because she can't say her R's. <laughs> <laughs> but all she needed, right, was for me to be like, to acknowledge and that she just wanted to sit next to me. It didn't matter what I was doing. So we could be watching a show because that's what she really wanted to do. Or we can compromise and I can say, I got to get some stuff done, but you are welcome to be there beside me. And then other than that, I mean, I think um, one of the things you say a lot, Anne, that I feel like we focus on in our house too, is letting the kids help choose which things they want you to be at because you're yeah. not going to be at all of them. So we recently had a situation where Sam was really mad because I was going on a field trip with Mia and I've never been on a field trip with him, which is true because we weren't allowed to go on field trips for That's all right. of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so there was no chance that I was ever going to be at his four-year-old field trip, right? Mm -hmm. And so I explained, you know, you and I sat down and I asked you which Christmas parties you wanted me to be at. Mia doesn't have those in her classroom at four years old. So mom wants to show up for her and show up for you. And we talked about how I'll be at the Christmas party in a few weeks. And that fixed it, right? That was totally fine. And then in addition to that, one of the other things I will say, um, and you hear me talking about like rationalizing with kids, which is not always an easy thing to do. But I do think if you sit down and you have the conversation in the why, as you would with anyone else in your life, it can be tremendously helpful. So this time of year, mm -hmm. Bryce is gone all the time, almost every week. And it always hits us that there's a couple week-long stints where literally he's gone for seven full days. And you can imagine with a seven and four-year-old the impact that that has on our life. But he has started sitting them down before he goes and explaining that mom is one person. She can't do everything. I need you to help her. And please don't get frustrated when you both need something at the same time and she cannot do it. Mm -hmm. And then I reinforce that too. And one of the things they really hate 
is I have started instituting that even if Bryce is not gone, date night becomes mom night. Mm-hmm. And so I go out for a few hours by myself. Sometimes I'm having a glass of wine at a restaurant and catching up on work, life, all the things, right? Or I'm running errands that are just easier to do without the kids. Or sometimes I'm having dinner with a friend or my sister or whatever, but it's time that is dedicated to me. A few weeks ago or two weeks ago when we did our first Fourth Rate Women event, ironically, he was in – that was just last week. Jeez, Pete. It was last week. Last week. He was in Japan, right? And we were on day number four of him being in Japan, which is about when things start getting real dicey. And so I explained to them that Mackenzie, one of their favorite sitters of all time, was coming and that they were going to be with her later than normal and I was not going to be there for bedtime, to which they both lost their minds. Mm -hmm. But after we got over the tantrum and all of that, I explained to them that mom was doing something for her work that she'd never done before and that it was a very big deal for me and Anne and the other people that were going to be there. And that as much as I also understood their feelings, I was asking them to allow me to go do what I needed to do for work and that I would come in and say goodnight to them, even though they wouldn't remember, (laughs) when I got home and make sure that they were good. Were they happy? No. Mm -hmm. But did I feel guilty? No, because I was doing the thing that was most important to my life in that moment. And my family, to the point I made at the very beginning of this, wasn't coming quote unquote first in that exact situation although they ultimately do I I think that's a really really fabulous example um I also like the one when you tell me when you came down for the chamber event and you share with Mia that you had did your speaking event and she's like how did it go yes (laughs) I mean there's something like really charming about it but there's also something that when we explain to our kids and we treat them a little bit like more like people than little kids. Yes. And we share how we feel. We share our emotions. We share what it means to us. They develop a sense of empathy. Yes. That then becomes something that they can take with them as they get older. Now, you have to be reasonable with regards to what kind of empathy you expect a (laughs) four-year-old and a seven-year-old to have. But even now, as I see as my girls have gotten older – I can see the things that I've instilled in them when they're younger. The expectations are different now when they're older. Yes. So when I told, you know, Corinne as, you know, she was younger that, yeah, we're only going to be at so many things if we're going to do all these things. Now that she's older, when we say we can't, you know, do everything and she's just like, all right, well, then I want you to be here or yes. I want you to be here. That's what's important to me. And it becomes a lot clearer of a conversation versus us defaulting to the fact that we need to be at everything or our kid's going to be upset and they're going to be traumatized for the rest of their life. I can tell you, having an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old with things that have happened in the past, especially you know, with the divorce and you know, and all those other sorts of things, my kids are not traumatized. Yes. So if you think you're going to traumatize your kids, then you need to rethink the real reason why you're doing this because it's probably not going to traumatize your kids. It's probably more having to do something with you than it has to do with them, which I think is the point that you were making, which I think... Yes was a really telegraphic story to tell that. All right. So there's four of these guys. This might be a long episode. You might have to take this into <laughs> yeah, your Yeah, bear with us. <laughs> okay. Um, our second belief that's critical in helping women rise in leadership is as smart, capable, ambitious women, it is our responsibility to rise and pull others up behind us. April, I'll let you start with this one. Yes. And Anne gives me this one because she was there when I had my sort of aha moment and I'll never forget where I was mm-hmm. standing and, <laughs> you know, and anyway, I do believe it is our responsibility. I actually believe it so much that I feel like it's becoming the thing that I'm called to do more than anything else, which 
as someone who's always striving to be better and do more and help the world <laughs> in however small way I can do that, it's a really fulfilling thing to have realized. Mm-hmm. But it is a bit of a catch-22 because we need more women at the top to get more women at the top. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I was I was having a conversation after the event last week and the feedback that came back was I was struck by how in 2022 there aren't more of us. But the truth of the matter is there aren't more of us and there needs to be more of us and we need to be doing things to make that happen. Exactly. Right. And so, again, like some positive stuff that is coming out of this and I think helps me continue to move but it is the reality and we do need more examples that younger aspiring women leaders can relate to because they have to see that it's possible and they have to see that it's possible without any sort of scarcity mindset associated Mm -hmm. with it they have to be able to believe that they can equally achieve it the same as their male counterparts can at the same level in the same numbers yes so I'll use Anne's analogy here of breaking the four-minute mile So because this one made me chuckle. I was like, oh, running reference. All right, I can do this. See, I didn't make um, it a, 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 a sports, football Yeah, well, it's I, like, sport, I made it, but, It's something that you could actually relate to. Yes, yes. So before the four-minute mile was broken in 1954 by Roger Bannister, many runners thought it was an impossible feat, right? Because right. it had never happened before. And everybody was trying and trying and trying and nobody could see it. And nobody could do it, right? Which – Shows you the mindset that needs to happen. And then it was broken three times just a few weeks later, Roger being one of those with a new sub four personal record. Right. Right. So you see what we're getting at here. The volume is important to getting more through that gate or the proverbial gate, whatever. So really, the more women that get in these exec positions, the more normal it will feel, which then breaks that paradigm of the fact that it's impossible. And that means that smart, capable, ambitious women who can rise need to see it as their responsibility to do it and then help others do it Mm -hmm. as well. It's not always an easy choice, but it really is crucial to flipping that paradigm on its head and recovering from the situation that I believe a lot of us are currently in. Mm -hmm. And we also need to acknowledge that it's a team effort where we are the captains. It's not a solo sport. This is why we've started Fourth Right Women, right? We need more of us. We need the numbers of us to work together to make the movement bigger. We only succeed if we create that opportunity for other female leaders. And I guess I think in all honesty, I'm tired of seeing women shy away from this. We said we were going to have controversial statements during this, right? Mm -hmm. But at Forthright People, we believe it's our job always as a company to respectfully push people. And that's what this responsibility means to me. And it is a choice that we're posing to other women to join us. But my goal has become to give them every reason why there's only one option, and that is to join us. And that might be the lawyer's daughter in me, or it might be the fact that I'm tired of seeing it. But I've spent a lot of time reflecting since we had our event last week. And while the ones that showed up, I mean, I can't can't say anything better about how it went, the conversation, the openness, the vulnerability. On the other side, there was just as many that committed and pulled out. Right. For various reasons. For various reasons. Right. And and some of them like illness. Okay. (laughs) You know, like there's certain things that you can't prevent. But there were some where I was just left just – almost like angry, which I don't get mad very often at people. I'm not really like, I would never define my feelings towards relationships and things very often as getting to the point of anger. But I think I was so just disappointed that it had been presented and kind of wrapped with a bow and given to them and all they had to do was show up. 
And not being able to do that just kind of left me in this mm-hmm. place where I just, I was a little bit angry. So there you go. Well, I think that's a really great vulnerable thing to share because I think that's kind of what gets at the heart of the frustration by why there isn't anymore because it feels like such a lonely sport, yes. right? To yes. try to kind of climb your way to the top. And I'm not saying that the women at the top are not smart, ambitious, really phenomenal women. There are plenty up there. But what I'm saying is there's a a, a couple of phenomena that are happening that I think are really impacting that. One is it feels like we're, and again, I'm going to make a very controversial statement. You guys are free to disagree with me. This is Anne's point of view, that we are creating executive roles for the sake of putting women in, like DEI roles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dangerous. It is very, very dangerous. I, 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 Not that women aren't, and these kinds of women aren't great for those roles, and there shouldn't be women in those roles. But it I shouldn't think be defined that way. It shouldn't be defined that way, and it shouldn't be the way that we're going to get women to the top. It also shouldn't be, oh, the only women that get to the top are the ones who decide, I'm not going to have any kids. I'm going to make my mm-hmm. career like the little the only thing that matters. And I'm going to, you know, be the, the trailblazer that, that goes up. That shouldn't have to be the choice that you have to make either, right? So I think that's one thing that's happening that needs to change. And that leads to my second point, which is women, you need to apply for these jobs. Yes. I just, I have a coaching client who's phenomenal. She is just a... A rock star person, and she got this op- opportunity. She wants to apply for the CFO role, and she is not one hundred percent qualified for the role. And but she's like, I I like it. I have think I have a chance. And she started you know, putting out her cover letter. She sent it to me. I sent some feedback back. And her first thing was like, I'm losing my confidence now. I don't think I'm qualified enough. I'm like, you don't have to be one hundred percent qualified. You'll never be one hundred percent qualified for any job you apply for. But women seem to feel like they at least need to be in the top, you know, 95% like hit the the qualification. Men are fine if they hit 50% of those, right? <laughs> and there so, are statistics that support that. And there are statistics that support that. But they are swinging, right? So you're not going to get a hit or a home run every time you go to bat. But they're taking more swings. So therefore, they're getting more times at bat. So therefore, they're refining it. And so their chances of actually getting one of these are a lot higher versus the people who are going to be like, oh, I'm going to sit on the bench and I'm going to wait until I feel like I have enough skill and I have enough of a a hit rate that I'm going to go up and I'm going to try to swing. And if that's your mindset, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. You can't get any roles that you don't apply for. So it became a matter of like, listen, you stay where you don't actually have those qualifications. You link your current experience to why your experiences matches the experiences that they need, even if it's not in the exact skills or time or duration or you know the exact kind of roles that they're looking for. And then you show and you demonstrate your opportunity to grow. Yes. That's what you have to do. And that's how that's that's the key to really going for a position, even if you don't feel totally qualified. And by the way, you have to go in with confidence. If you don't get in with confidence, then it's gonna be sunk at the get-go. And there's that's a whole Another one. Maybe we should do an episode on interviewing. I think that's actually a actually good one. that's a good one. All right, we'll put that down because that really comes from interviewing. We see too many women really struggle in this capacity because again, they're trying to be too polite, they're trying to be too inclusive, and they um, are not a, a good enough advocates of themselves. So I say all that to say, again, as smart, capable, ambitious women, it is our responsibility to rise, and if we can get more people. We can have more at-bats. We have a bigger pool to pull from. It's not just a, like an anomaly that one woman was able to kind of get through because of all the sacrifices that she had to make in order to do that. I think that's fair.
All right. The third belief critical in helping women rise in leadership is one of we are powerful. And this goes to the, the point that we just talked about, about being smart, capable, ambitious. We are also powerful. And if we don't believe in our ability to change the face of business, we are sunk before we've even begun. All right. So ironically, again, the personal brand characteristics that can hold us back from aspiring to leadership positions like empathy, caregiver, fairness, and humbleness. And if you want more on this, we have an episode on this. Frankly, these personal brand characteristics can actually make us really good leaders when we get there, right? Don't, and if you don't want to just take my word for it, go look up everything that Kevin O'Leary from Shark Take has said about best performing investments. They're all women-owned businesses for a lot of these reasons. He loves investing in women-owned businesses because of the characteristics that women tend to over-index in that can bring to the table. And the research reinforces this too. So just Google why women make great leaders you're going to get a whole host of sure research are. I mean, from very reputable universities and references that cite this as being a really, really truism. It's just a matter of getting women to those positions, right? But sometimes our power gets undermined by what we said, like the outdated stereotypes and processes which are imposed on us and which we impose on ourselves. And here's a few, and I'll try to do this a little bit quicker than I did the first point, but I can't <laughs> promise any. It's okay. All right, so first that women are the best caregivers and therefore they should take the lead, right? We think that because we gave birth to the kids. It's just a natural mm-hmm. like connection that we have and there's nothing that's going to overcome that except for we have to take a little bit more of an objective view about the, what the roles are going to be in that caregiving. Right, so are we giving our partners enough credit for the way that they can be caregivers? It's a big one. It's a huge one. We tend to be very big control freaks. It's our way <laughs> or the highway. We know how to do it right. We are the moms. If we're going to mandate that, then our partners are going to take the back seat and they're not going to put themselves out there because the last thing they want to do is do it wrong. Yep. Or get yelled at for doing it wrong. Yep. I mean, this is something I have to manage within we, me all the time. We know how our men act, right? <laughs> And so we we have to really think about the the question, which is, is it really our responsibility? Is it, are we the only ones who can actually really do it well? Or are we just nominating ourselves because it's a default reaction? It's just easier if we just do it ourselves, right? So I think that's the big question to really contemplate here when you're trying to think about that. The second is maternity leave means a loss of progress. This continues to be a huge, huge issue where it's like, if you have no work, you have no results, therefore you have nothing to put on your contribution sheet, so therefore you fall behind because you can't compete against somebody who's been there the whole year if you've only been there six months or seven months. I think this is totally flat out ridiculous. It's like, oh, so I performed really well, like top performer in the first six months, so you think I'm just going to like fall off in the last six months, I was just going to do a crappy job and so my progress wasn't going to continue. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I know that there's some companies who don't even evaluate women who've been on maternity leave yep. because they weren't there for the full 12 months. That is a system problem. That has to be changed. The other one that women tend to get in their own way about is that they feel that self-promotion is seen as egotistical, which results in a win-lose. Again, it goes back to that empathy. And therefore, we should avoid any sense of self-promotion. And what we'll sell you, and we tell you guys this a lot, is self-promotion is essential to rising. The work does not speak for itself, okay? So you have to get good at promoting yourself. It doesn't have to be in a sleazy way. It doesn't have to be how your male counterparts do it. 
but you have to get good at promoting yourself. And we have an episode on that. You're going to hear yes, a lot do. of us say, say a lot. We're going to hear that a lot as we go through this. The other one, and this kind of goes to that one, is that you refuse to play the game. Or so I'll say we refuse to play the game sometimes. Again, it goes back to that everything should be fair, right? And so whether it, you feel like it's a boys club or there's just too much drama or it's too manipulating and you don't want to even participate it, that just gets you a seat on the bench. Or sometimes worse, it gets you a seat in the stands. You're not even in the game. Yep. So you can't play the game. You can't be part of all these discussions about getting promoted to get progressing in your career if you're not on the court. So you need to get on the floor. And only when we stand in our power can we expect others to believe that we're actually powerful. So we can't go and claim that everybody should respect us for being powerful if we're not willing to stand in it. April, your thoughts? Yeah, and this one, you know, uh, this was kind of a big moment, I think, of self-reflection for me as I went through these this list and thought about where do I show up or or how have I historically and what have I changed maybe and so one of the things about me is for a very long time I didn't think I wanted kids and I think there's a whole lot of reasons Mm. and you know maybe I should have my head examined to get to all of them but um (laughs) really though I do think that a large component of that was I looked around and I didn't see women rising Mm -hmm. if they had kids right And so I really think that I shut that down as part of who I was and just kind of took like the stiff upper lip thing and was like, that's not happening for me. And so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to run at all the things I want to do with my career. Right. Right. Until I turned 30 years old, at which point my husband and my sister found me crying on the toilet upstairs in our condo on my 30th birthday. And they were like, first of all, I don't cry very often. So that was alarming. And then also my birthday, they thought it was just because I felt like I was getting old. And so when I could finally speak enough to articulate, I think I want kids, they were both like, isn't that a good thing? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I say that to say, I do think that it hit me in a way that I was like, the way I phrase it is, I didn't feel like I had a choice anymore. So now I had to go and find a way because I wanted that, right? And so... I'm well, I'm really glad that I listened to myself because I think becoming a mom made me feel more powerful than I have really at any other point in my life. And I have this moment. I remember standing at the front windows in our condo and I was holding Sam and he was just days old and Bryce was back traveling. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, who thought it was a good idea for me to be responsible for another human being? <laughs> One of those <laughs> moments that you have as a brand new mom, right? It's like 3 a.m. He's not sleeping. I haven't slept in however many days he's been alive. But what came after that was just this fierceness that I don't think I ever knew I had inside of me. Mm -hmm. And I think I stand in my power because I think I owe it to the kids even more than anybody else. And so when I experience any of these things that Ann mentioned, whether it's directly me or it's seeing it in our clients, it really takes me to this really specific place about what actually matters the most in life. And this goes to my earlier comment about putting your family first in situations versus just in general. Because to me, the best impact I can have on this world is to raise good, kind human beings because there also aren't enough of those in the world right Mm -hmm. now, right? And so in order to do that, I have to rise above, I have to stand in my power, and I have to take a stand when it's needed, whether it's for myself or someone else. Because my hope is that my daughter and my son reach a point where they're 
both standing and they can feel like they can achieve equal things with each other. And then I think that empathy that you talk about too or what that you've talked about before of instilling that with them so that they feel like they have the worth to be able to be powerful in very equal ways. And maybe we won't get there and that's a huge aspiration. She's here. She's four. You know, I don't know. I can't predict that. But that is just the – like when I get the fire in my belly, it's because of the situation that happens and then thinking about them and their future lives. Yeah, I think that's a really – really fabulous point because I think it does give a different perspective when you have kids for sure and it definitely gives you a pause for how you want them to see the world yes right and the the saying goes you can see the world as a safe place you can see the world as a dangerous place and both people are right yep and so that becomes the the decision you have to make with regards to how you want to frame things up and I've always been trying to run the middle, but I've always been very clear with my girls about what the reality of the situation is and what they're going to have to overcome as women in business specifically and how some of these things play out. Um, And so I've shared very honestly when things haven't gone well for me, not that I'm a feminist, not to believe everything that's happened to me is because I'm a woman. That's not the case, but I have recognized and acknowledged mistakes that I've made that have something to do with me being a woman too that when put together it kind of creates the impact that it that it did so Mm -hmm. whether it's in the way that I acted in a meeting being very direct you know in a meeting and not being very well received because I am a woman and me not understanding well then how come my male counterpart can be direct but I can't be direct and yes it's not fair doesn't matter that it's fair or it's not fair it matters that I was not productive in my conversation. I was not received well. So therefore, I need to change the way that I am acting. That is standing in your power. And that is really, really important because that becomes a really great tool to give to your kids, boy or girl, male or female, about how do you actually receive from women? You know, how do what how as a boy or a male are you going to receive this kind of input from women and how are you going to then what was your impression going to be of them? And as well as a woman, how are you going to stand up for yourself and how are you going to have conviction? But you're going to do it in a way that's finesse and savvy because you have to if you want to rise. Right. So we get like so caught up in trying to play it very much like at a at a high level and like kind of like diluting it all down without really being very honest about what actually is going on and then taking the power back into ourselves to say, okay, I get, I get what's happening here. Mm-hmm. I need to act differently. I need to be different. I need to show up in a way that's going to help me be conducive to rise. And that has nothing to do with the other stuff that's going on with the choices you need to make between life and, and, and your work. I mean, those are decisions you have to be made for sure, but that is not the reason why you have to compromise in the way that you're going to show up you can show up in that same way as we talked a lot about how to treat your kids you show up in the same way as how you to treat your coworkers and your boss yep i'm sorry i can't go to this meeting i have another i have an obligation i promised my kids i am not going to let them down this is what i can do as a result yep. i can take the call after it i can get this work done tonight um, can you give me an extra day as opposed to just saying, mm, shoot, now what do I do? I can't tell them I'm going to do my kids event because then they're going to see that, you know, think something about me. But I I, I don't want to disappoint my kids and therefore you know, I'm stuck. Yep. Right. Yep. So 
don't default to that. Stand in your power. Think about what you want to to do in that situation and try to find a way to get it done. Yep. Yeah. All right. Are we on number four? We're on number four. All right. We got there. Okay. (laughs) The fourth belief critical in helping women rise in leadership is we need to acknowledge where we get in our own way. And we've talked a lot about this, but April, I'm going to ask you to put some finer points on this. Yeah, so I think a good summary list is here given all the conversation we've had, which is kind of the point of this one, right? And then I have another recent situation to share, which I think helps bring it to life and contextualize, right? And also share with you that we're still in it. We're still in it. It's an everyday we're constantly taking. we're constantly having to monitor. So in any case, so there are real challenges to face that are outside of our control. But what we've been talking about and what this point is here for is to acknowledge what is in our control and specifically these realities look like. Not holding ourselves accountable for the commitments we made to our own growth and aspirations to the point of my little bit of anger about the people that didn't show up last week, right? It's missing out on those opportunities. Not saying no to things that we feel obligated to do but have no passion to do. Or, or and worse, letting people take advantage of that inability to say no. Mm-hmm. You have got to get this under control, guys. If you hear one thing on this episode, you cannot say yes to everything and think that you're going to be able to sustain that, whether it's people taking advantage or you just getting in the pattern and the default of it. It will erode all of your energy if you continue to say yes all the time. Mm-hmm. The other side of the coin is defaulting to what others expect of us because it's easier to the point I just made. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to do that, so I'm just going to do it. Feeling jealous of other women and their achievements and thereby undermining them. This is when we are not supportive of the women that are in these positions and we become our slash their worst enemies. Making all those that come behind us blaze the trail because we had to. Please do not do this. Take the Mm -hmm. mindset that you've been there and therefore you've paved a path and know that they're going to have their own struggles. Don't make it harder on them. Not taking care of our physical, mental, and emotional health. Ann and I talk about this all of the time. That's why I'm so adamant about not saying yes to everything or the inability to say no to things. You are just as important. You're also a human being, which Mm -hmm. means there are things that you must do in order to be physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy. Making excuses versus taking action because we're afraid it'll inconvenience others. Our favorite size, I'm too busy. You're too busy mm-hmm. doing what? We're all busy. Prioritize. Playing small so as to not rock the boat or stand out. This one kills a little bit of my soul when I see this happen because I feel like it means you've given up. Or don't believe that we're qualified, which Anne gave the whole point before about applying for the job, right? You don't have all the answers. No one does. That is also a definition of being human. So have the confidence in yourself that you can, one, figure it out and that you're worthy of being there. So these are just a few that we've experienced in our lives and in coaching others. We are not passing judgment, to be clear, but it is impossible to rise if you don't own it. And Mm -hmm. the first step of that is acknowledging where you sit within this list, right? And there's plenty of them that I've failed at in the past. Me too. And still do. And still do and still struggle with. And I'm going to give another example now just to prove this point. But overall, this requires constant monitoring and reevaluation. You really have to stay on top of it. It's not something where you're like, oh, I made it here and now I'm all done, right? It is a continuous battle for us as women for all of the reasons we've talked about, including those characteristics that we over-index in. So I'll give you my example, right? 
Friday the kids were sick and Bryce was still in Japan. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so I looked around me and I thought, okay, I could cancel my day. Right. But then I started to think about what that was going to mean. And I got to the point with myself where I was like, they're going to need me more tonight because when kids are sick and it's bedtime, it's dark and all those things, they, they want their mom there, right? And I will be a better, more patient mom in those moments if I step away today. Some people might say that was the wrong decision, okay? But I can tell you right now that this is where my village came in. Mm-hmm. So... My sister Mandy works a job that is on West Coast hours, so her day starts later. And then Mackenzie is one of the nannies that's in the regular rotation. Both people that they spend lots of time with, that they are comfortable with, they love them. And if I'm being really honest, the place I came to in my head was that they could take equal, if not better, care for them than I could in this moment because – I was already exhausted and running on fumes from the week. Yeah. And I was also going to have them for another 24 hours until Bryce got home. So I went to my meetings and I communicated the situation on both sides. I told Mandy and Mackenzie if they needed me throughout the day, I would be I would have my phone there. And when I went to the client meetings, I told them the situation and there was a chance that I might have to step away. I, I was. Think, I think the exact words is, if they throw up, I got to leave. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's, that's where I get in these situations. Yeah. It just, it's like, look, if this happens, this happens. Okay, guys, that's where we are. But I, I took the approach of transparency and clarity with me and everyone that I was going to interact with that day. It didn't have to be me that day. And I believe that because we are so committed to building the village, and honestly, I don't have a choice quite frankly, with as much as Bryce is gone, especially this time of year. But we also choose then on the other side how we show up with our clients too at fourth rate people. Mm -hmm. And so when Ann made the comment about with our families or kids or whatever, how you communicate and with the people on the other side, the way that I communicated even saying if they puke, I got to leave was not unexpected from anyone that had to deal with me that day that was in my circle, right? It was like, Okay, got it. And then guess what? I was able to concentrate in the meetings because I knew my phone would ring if Mm -hmm. something had happened. That night, I came back. They were tired. They wanted to lay and watch movies. I had the wherewithal to do that because I had completed my day. I had had the space and now I could come back and be a good mom versus any of the other things that could have happened if I canceled my day. So there you go. I think that is a fabulous story. And I think it's definitely one where – it doesn't have to be the same solution for everybody. No. Right? Like for me too, like when I was at PNG, I always had to have the nanny take the kids to practice because mm-hmm. I were not get out working early enough in order to do mm-hmm. that. Now I choose to take them to practice so I can have a couple of minutes with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And now it's just Corinne. But I then I sit at practice and I either work out while I'm there. So I'll go for my run or a walk or – Maybe I'll take some time for myself and I'll do my puzzle book or I'll get work done. Yep. Right. So it's, it's about like flexing a little bit like that so that you can do the things that matter, but it doesn't have to look the same for everything. No. Right. And that situation looked that way on that day. And it could, it could have taken to life. Yeah. Uh, you totally know, the next time that they're sick and that happens, it'll be different. Yeah. And I'm just like, God, don't throw up because I don't know if I could do this presentation. <laughs> 
And I knew that was in your head too. Yeah, I was like, shit. I did float out a note like, Anne, if this happens, can you cover this? And there was like the dots kind of sat there for a minute. I'm like, okay, so that's not a solution. <laughs> I could have gone through it. I could have done yes, it. Yes, you could have. I'm pretty sure Just I could have. Just not the preparation that we liked. Right, have. because you were yeah. owning that work, that piece of work, yes, right? Yes, yes. All right. That's awesome. Okay. So we got through the four points. Let me just summarize them up. And those are the four beliefs critical in helping women rise in leadership. And let me just summarize them for you. We can be good moms and good leaders. Many feel you can only be one and to even achieve the one compromises need to be made. This is just not true. Second, as smart, capable, ambitious women, it is our responsibility to rise and pull others up behind us. It is a bit of a catch 22. We need more women at the top in order to get more women to the top. If that is the reality, it is up to each of us to flip it. Third, we are powerful. If we don't believe in our ability to change the face of business, we are sunk before we have even begun. We need to stand in our power if we expect others to believe we are powerful. And fourth, we need to acknowledge where we get in our own way. Sure, there are real challenges to face that are outside of our control, but what we are talking about is what is in our control. Acknowledge it and address it. Our next section is into trenches as we give real world examples like we haven't been already. <laughs> um, but these are going to be, you know, usually we say they're specific to industries and situations, but I think these are going to be very situationally oriented. And ones that we've gotten from a lot of our coaching clients, ones that we've addressed ourselves in our own lives. And so hopefully these will have some applicability to you that you guys can then translate into your own lives. Um, but if you want to talk about these more, these are where we're like, contact us because this is where we need to kind of get this conversation going. So our first in the trenches question, what if I don't have a village? And I'll take this one, but I definitely want April to jump in. This is where we just have to be very forthright and say that you need to do more harder work in order to find one. There's no reason not to have a village. I know April has said that she has family in town. Mm -hmm. I have some family in town too. We have friends. I mean, we have people that we can ask and we can count on. You may say, I don't have any family here, or maybe I'm new and I don't have any friends. Then it's time that you need to make them and you need to, you can't make the family, okay? But you can you can, get, <laughs> you can start making friends. You can start getting to know the parents of, of your kids. You can start to find out where you can engage with more moms in your situation through mom groups or any of those things. It may not be the the ideal social environment for you, especially if you tend to be introverted, but this is where you have to look at it as doing something that's bigger and, and beyond the, what the core rationale is for it because it has benefit to helping you be able to manage your life in a much more fluid way as April talks about, which I love. So if you don't have family and or you don't have the friends yet, you have to make a more concerted effort to actually cultivate some of those relationships. Also, nannies, sitters. Again, a lot of people will say, oh, I don't have the money for that. You have some money that you can set aside if you prioritize some of your funds in order to make this happen. Right? There's a lot of sitters in that are out there in your neighborhood who are willing to do a couple of hours for a very cheap rate you just need to ask, or you need to ask where you can find these sitters. Most of these, especially in Cincinnati, have these little networks. I mean, my daughter's on one of them. She's yep. on the Madeira Babysitters. I can't remember if that's exactly what it's, what it's called, but that's how they access a lot of these sitters in the, in the area. So even if you don't know a lot of people, there's channels like that. There's also things like, and there's services like Babysit Ease and some of these other ones where you can actually go through a more formal process. And these are all vetted sitters and nannies. So if you rather do that, you can do that. 
So there's lots of different avenues for how to create your village. You just need to do the work in order to go do it. Okay. And I know a lot of people too are like, I don't want to leave my kids with a stranger and all these sorts of things. And yes, it could be extremely uncomfortable having to do that. And we, April and I will be very honest that we've both had bad nannies. Yes, we have. It's, it's happened. It can happen. Has it been traumatizing? No, because they've been at least vetted enough that they're actually like not serial killers, yeah. right? So, <laughs> yeah. and they didn't do any harm to the kids. They didn't kids. do any harm to the kids. Now, yeah. there continue to remain to be stories about that. Like, mm-hmm. hey, mom, remember when our babysitter abducted us? I'm like, yeah, not a great day. And, that, and when I say abducted, like she took them to Kroger's and Madeira and she refused to take them to their dad's house until I came and picked them up. So that's kind of how they classified that. So at least they'll have stories to tell Oprah when they actually, you know, get invited on there about how their child. <laughs> see, that, is that how ridiculous that sounds? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is like, you guys, we tend to make it more in our heads than it actually is in real, in real life. Do the vetting. Ask for references. Make sure you have good qualified people. Yes, it takes a little bit of time, but it's so worth it to get some of that freedom and flexibility for your life. Yeah, 100%. Um, And I've already said on this episode, but I'll say it really overtly that I am currently in the process of working very hard to grow my village because I'm in a situation currently where I do not have a choice when it comes to that, right? So, you know, my parents are getting older, which I can say because I know that they aren't podcast listeners, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There are more grandkids in the picture in my family now. And I also am careful about how much I let my family take on because I want to make sure that they enjoy my kids and they don't feel like they're responsibility. So a lot of it is led by what they're willing to do and then the mindset that if I end up in an oh shit moment, then I know the chain of command of, of who can typically help, right? So right now, currently, I have five nannies in rotation, which mm-hmm. when I say that, people's eyes get huge and then the question is always, how do you manage that? I manage it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, I will say that while it happened because it was the only solution when Ainsley decided to go to college. I mean, how could she do that to me in Macon, Georgia? Uh, Yeah, it was super stressful. And I had to basically put all of them through training on where and how do you pick up the kids? What are the lunches? What's the homework situation? What are my expectations? Um, But at this point in time, what I have is five gals who I just go down the list when we have needs and generally one of them can Mm -hmm. fill it. Now, there has been a very good friend of mine who has been pushing me for since we've moved up here. Well, I guess since Mia started school because that's when we ran into each other to allow her and her husband to help. They have one daughter and she's in Mia's class. And like I said, we reconnected. We had been friends for I don't know, seven or eight years we hung out. They lived in my parents' building. They moved away, lost track, found each other in the parking lot at the preschool last year. And so we've reconnected. We hang out with them. It's great. My daughter and her daughter are friends. And they're, you know, people we have a great time with. She's been on me to let her help. And she has asked me, I can't even tell you how many times, to the point where she now would, she got into a situation where she would scold me. Why didn't you call me? I told you to call me. There's no reason that you went through that. I told you to call me. why didn't you, April? Because I, what I've realized about myself, yeah, I felt bad and I've realized one thing about myself that I feel like I'll get over the hump of it in some capacity and then I have to recalibrate again is I don't like to ask for help 
when it comes to my children because I feel like I should be able to handle it within the village and infrastructure that I built. Mm -hmm. Well, I had a situation where I had a nine o'clock appointment, which I had moved, I think, four times at that point. And mm, let's see, no one in my family could help because I did go that route and none of all the girls had class. And so I text Aaron and I was like, is there any way that I can drop Mia at your house at 830 and can you take her to school for me? I have a nine o'clock appointment. And the answer came back immediately. Absolutely. Drop her off. So we got to the morning of and she's like, I'm making pancakes. Does Mia want any? I dropped Mia off. I also got the mom. I don't need you to come to the door. <laughs> I've been here before. I don't need you to help me. And so I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. So I stood next to my car door and when Aaron opened the door and was like, what's happening? I was like, I've been told to not move from this place right here, right? <laughs> so they had breakfast together. They made it to school. It was lovely. And she enjoyed it probably. And she had a great time. They had a great time, right? And so I need to embrace more of that. The other thing that I've realized about myself is I've always stated that my sister is a reciprocator. Yes. Like she she doesn't like to owe anyone anything. So if she does, it drives her crazy and she needs to give it back immediately. I've realized I actually have that tendency too. Yes. And so I had a hard time allowing Aaron to help because I wasn't sure how I was going to help back. Yeah. Right. It's not very reasonable. Although she could drop Hadley to me and it would be totally fine. Right. That's not really like the reason she's offering. Right. She's offering because she's trying to help take something off my plate, not give me more things to manage. Right. However, as things happen, we had a conversation because our cute little daughters walked in holding hands the other day and I caught a picture of it and her husband was there and had already left. And so I sent her the picture and I'm like, oh my gosh. And we went down this whole thing about 10 years ago when we were having beers at the pool. Who would have thought that we'd have kids in the same class that are buddies, all that stuff. And then she's like, how's the week? And I was like, hey, all right, things are looking up. Kids are not sick anymore. Bryce is here this week. I think I can do it. And she's like, oh, girl, we're having an issue. Our nanny is sick and continues to be sick. The day before, one of my five nannies had sent me two more people to put into the mix. And so I was like, I have got this. So I paid it forward and I sent her those two names. And when I saw her in the parking lot today, she was like, you're not going to believe it. You are a lifesaver. Megan's helping us now. So appreciate it. Thank you for sending. Right? So I now took a look at myself and was like, okay, you need to get over it. <laughs> and you need to continue to let her help and also relax that you're not going to have to pay it forward immediately. It will happen in due time. So that is, yes, a really, really <laughs> good example because I was going to bring up the whole reciprocity thing, which I think holds people back. I yes. also think the – they don't want to feel like they're taking advantage of people, holds them back. I would say continue to ask until you start getting the signals that maybe you're asking too much yeah. or that you don't actually give it back, right? So yes, yes. There, You'll know. There'll yes. be signals that you know, but don't automatically think that you're taking advantage of people in the moment and that if you ask too many times, it's going to be like a nuisance. So you'll know. I think the other thing is, and I, th I meant to bring up this point too, is like nannies have networks. Mm -hmm. Right. And that used mm -hmm. to be my case, too. It's like, oh, my nanny couldn't do it. She's like, oh, but I have my three other friends. One of my other friends could do it. And I was like, oh, great. Another person. And like that person would come. She goes, oh, no, don't worry. I've got to tell her what to go do. Yep. And we're so, in that. We're doing that now, too. Right. Yes. And so yep. then she would come. And then, you know, the girls are like, how'd it go? We loved Henry. She thought we, we, we thought she was great. Yep. You know, and stuff. And so you're like all worried because you have a new person. And then all of a sudden, these girls, especially because mm -hmm. they're strong, capable women. Mm hmm. 
manage the process really, really expertly. Mm -hmm. And they know it because that's how they get these really good jobs and get the really good families and get the really good money. Yes. So it's all for the right reasons. Our situation today is exactly that. The one girl's sick. And so she texts me with the replacement who is one of our regulars and said, I can't be there. Are you cool with this? Great. And it was done for me. Yeah. That's perfect. All right, our second in the trenches question. But I'm just so busy. How do I make time for prioritizing myself? Oh, and as April already said, this again. is our favorite response. Uh, is that I'm too busy, I'm, and to the point that it drives me absolutely nuts when somebody says, "Oh, just how busy they are." I'm like, okay, then I'm surprised because I expect you to be sitting around twiddling your thumbs, right, yeah. and collecting a paycheck. But um, I think what we both would say is here, you have to time. You just don't think you're more important than everything else that's going on, mm-hmm. right? So you're choosing to let other people run their agendas and prioritize their lives over your life. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, just very simply, it's just about making a choice. And it goes back to the ways we're getting in our own way, especially not being able to say no and to, to fall into it. Just, I'll do it. That's fine. You know, and it sometimes it comes to having to be, again, more flexible in your way that you want to manage your day. So for example, I am a morning workout person. I love to get my workouts out in the morning because like if my whole day goes to crap, at least I got my workout in, yep. you know, I'm like, I just Sense feel good about like, accomplished. Yeah. I've done that for years. Even when I was at PNG, I did that for years to the point where I'm like, I didn't show up till nine. I'm like, if I had an early meeting, I'm like, you guys are interfering with my workout. So like for the most part, they would adjust. Sometimes I didn't get that choice. And so what I'd be like, have to do is like, okay, I either just didn't get my workout in for the day or I moved it to some other time. I don't really like working out like in the afternoons or, you know, some of those other things, but I do it anyway because I it's the way that I best manage my day and it, you just have to get it done. So sometimes we get these things just stuck in our head that we can only do them at certain points of time. Like you said, it's like, well, if I'm not with my kid during the day when they're sick, I'm also a bad mom, but no, maybe if I'm at them with them in the evening, that's actually the better time to be at them. Just Play it differently in your head. Mm-hmm. Toss it up a little bit and kind of see. It's like, am I really? Is that really the truth? Is that really the situation? Or is really a, a different scenario actually can work here just as well? And really, like, just be honest with yourself. I also say too is get some hobbies if you don't have any. That's the other reason why people don't prioritize themselves yep. because they're like, well, I don't know what I would do with my time and just sit there and scroll through their feed. Get some hobbies like. Go like get a massage or get your nails done. Or if you don't like that or you don't like working out, like read a book or join a club or I mean, whatever. There's a gazillion things you can do. Try them all on and see what you like the best. That's part of just having the time for yourself. Sometimes you just like me in April where you're like, I just want some quiet time. I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to catch up on work all by myself. Mm -hmm. That can be it too. Mm -hmm. But find something that works for you. Yeah, I I think that is all right. And I want to make the point, too, that there are maintenance things and then there are the other things, too, where you prioritize yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So I get the question a lot, too, of I just don't know how you make so much time to work out. Your kids are little. Bryce is always gone. You're running your own business. How does that happen? And my response is, if I do not work out, I cannot do those other things. It is a non-negotiable and it has been for 21 years since I got into college and realized I was anxious about my major being stressful and became a runner, mm-hmm. right? So I think that you have to take more of that mindset too and then also not feel bad about doing the quote-unquote maintenance things and then other things as well because that's the other question I get is like, but you'll just go out by yourself? 
I'm like, yeah, because sometimes I just need a minute. Yeah. Really? So you work out, your nails always look nice, you get a monthly facial, and then you're also going to take a few hours alone? Yeah, I am, actually. And I think that we've got to shift it to the other way of thinking, which is you do have the time. And then to Anne's point, which I think is a really good one, what are you going to do with the time? Right. And I think hobbies are a huge one. And I, I think this is one where I talked before about burning yourself down or burying yourself under the weight of all the things that you have to do. We have to have outlets. Yes. Right? Now, some people would say that for me, running is a hobby. I guess technically, yes. But to me, it's my mental health. It is, yes. It's not even actually, as much as I love the physical, like the high and all of that, it's actually the getting away, getting out, letting my racing thoughts settle down, having the air. Like it's all of the stuff that makes me feel better. And the other thing I would say is, don't apologize for this either. Yes. Because that's the other piece. And I don't. I mean, I, I don't even ever apologize to Anne. I mean, like we run our own schedules. It was one of the things we talked about early on when we started this business was we both like our lives to run different ways. Mm -hmm. And how was that going to work? If Anne sends me something to look at and I can't get to it that afternoon, I don't say sorry. I say I'll look at it tomorrow morning before you get up. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the way we have to look at it is if you don't start realizing how important it is to take care of yourself and you keep making the excuses for why you're not going to do it, you won't ever get over the hump that we've talked about. And you won't be able to have enough sense of self to be able to make the decisions and then feel okay about them. I think that's a really good point. And the only thing I'll add is manage your expectations around what you're going to spend that time doing too. Like yeah. a lot of times people are like, oh, okay, I got my time. I'm right. I'm going to hit the gym every day, right? You yeah. know, it's <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning. I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. If that's not what you really want to do. Don't pretend like that's what you're going to go mm -hmm. do. I mean, I used to be a runner too. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what? I just don't like it as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. But what I really like to do is I like to walk and listen to my podcasts. Mm -hmm. So now I get a double dose of exercise and learning time. And then I stop at Starbucks and I get my Starbucks and I walk home. Yep. Right. You know, so find something you enjoy that is actually, like you said, an outlet and not just something you feel like forced to go do. So therefore, you know what? Uh, well, I could go to the gym, but you know what? I probably need to get a couple hours of work in instead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because you don't really want to go to the gym, make it something that you actually look forward to doing, but make sure it's something that you feel energy in going to go do. And it, Sometimes you're going to feel like really tired, like oh, I just don't have the energy for that. But you'll find that those things light you up in ways that you didn't even think mm -hmm. um, or you could have conceived of. So give it a shot and you'll, I think you'll find that those refuel you just as much as like, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to just go and scroll through my feet and watch TV. I think it's a good point not to force yourself to suffer through stuff just yeah. because. Just because I mean, you think that's what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. And also don't. Again, don't worry about people, what people think about what you are doing. Like sometimes when I go and I just do like evening errands by myself and I go sit at a restaurant at the bar and have a glass of wine and a meal and catch up on work, there's a lot of people that have been like, that's Poor what you girl. went and did. <laughs> yeah, like that's what you went and did. And I'm like, but it set me up for the next day or the next week or it yeah. got stuff off my mind that was there. Like there, if you 
do it with intention and you you're not lying to yourself about why you're doing it, then whatever it is is fine. Just find out what that is. Yeah, I agree. All right, our last in the trenches question. I can almost hear everybody clapping. <laughs> I have a really hard time letting go of the judgment, which is you're just getting at this. I am a hard enough on myself. Why does everyone else have to have an opinion? April. Toughen up, gals. Yep. I mean, that's... Stand in your power. Stand in your power because you do owe it to yourself. If you've not heard that today, then we have not done our job. You have to let go of what does not serve you. This is something that I have... Every time that I feel like I'm running up against any of the variety of things that we have in this episode, I that phrase, I like it just comes in my head now because how many times I repeat it to myself. You have got to get this under control. And there's an expression out there. I'm not going to say the whole thing, but you know, opinions are like everybody has one, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you can't get away from people and their opinions, right? I always try to take it to a more objective place of evaluating why the opinion's even in my head. And so it's it looks like, do I even like this person? Told you the fourth rate nature comes out. Mm-hmm. Then why do I care what they think? Do they live their life, make decisions, parent the way that I do? If not, then again, why do I care? Why am I wasting my energy, energy on this? I mean, I say that I'm an acquired taste, which recently I've been rethinking saying that because I'm not exactly sure that that's entirely true. What I've decided is, it is that I stand in my power and some people will get on board with that and some, some people, people won't. won't. Yeah. So to the why do I care, I realized I actually don't because what I do is I say things that other people are too afraid to do and then I don't apologize for it. And there are just some people that don't know what to do with that. And that's okay with me. That's totally fine. I don't do it in a way to be disrespectful at all. I would never do that. We preach kindness in our house. I've said that where I'm trying to raise kind human beings. I do my best to never cut anyone down because I know what that feels like. And there's just no reason for that. It's not worth the guilt, honestly. But if someone, for example, asks me how the party went for my son and I say there are kids that aren't allowed back at my house and they ask who those people are, I tell them. (laughs) And I got some looks from one of the other moms who now gives me a wide berth for doing so. And that is fine with me. Oh, well, I'm not slamming other people. I'm not speaking ill. I'm just speaking honestly. And again, I'm saying the things other people won't say. I told the situation in my rationale. You can agree with me or not. You can think I'm crazy. It's fine. I cannot remember what I was listening to. And obviously, I've heard this a million times before. But the expression of you're never going to make everyone like you. So why are you trying? Which is essentially what this is, right? I'm more interested in my village, in the community of people that respect me, that take me as I am and look out for me. I'm not interested in drama for the sake of drama. And so that is my lens. And really, you have to define what yours is. So. Yeah, and I think the only thing I'll add to that is I love what you said about judgment. I just want to reiterate this. that This is nothing about judging anything about whatever you're doing being right or wrong. No. All it's meant to do is help you raise the questions like, Hmm. is this really what I want or is am I defaulting to yep. a preconceived set of criteria, notions, beliefs that aren't serving me? And yes. so I love what you're saying about you got to get rid of what's not serving you. Yep. And that's not being selfish. That's not being narcissistic. It's about being able to be the best version of you you can be so you can achieve what you want to achieve and fulfill what you want to fulfill. Well, and I think to that point, you know, our big thing is, and I say this all the time, is assuming positive intent. Yeah. I state that about myself, right? So if you 
don't if and if you're not made that same way, then I just opt out. Like, and that's the objectivity I'm talking about. It's like, look, you don't have to agree with me. I'm not judging you. I don't know why yeah. you have yeah. an opinion. <laughs> I didn't ask for it. So, yep, anyway. I think that's right on. All right, and if you guys are still with us, we are going to do our third and final segment. <laughs> we like a company or brand a mayor may not be using their marketing smarts. We call this the marketing smarts moments. And today, um, mine, I don't think has anything to do with it, but you know how I like to try to find something. You always do. You say that and then I try you to find, find the it. connection. I actually, there is a connection, but it's probably not the most like, it's probably something I shouldn't be talking about. But so the person, it, this is actually a person that I want to talk about exercising his marketing smarts is Peyton Manning. Oh my. We- is there is there anything else I need to say? I mean- if you want to get a boost in your marketing, just hire Peyton Manning, it seems like, right? <laughs> so in the last week, he hosted the CMAs with Luke Bryan. I don't know why, but he did. Interesting choice, but? But he has that, like, kind of the charisma, I, and he has that I can see wit. how it worked, especially with Luke. I can, And it has a, dy- you know, a dynamic. That he's from Texas. It actually, or, or no, from he's Texas? from New Orleans. New Orleans, that's yeah. right. See, so, this is why I shouldn't participate. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. It's a, Peyton, it's a common mistake. Zip it, he mom. seems like he's from everywhere. So, I mean, I could see how you would think that. And now I saw him in the promo for the Santa Claus sequels. Oh, really? Yes. So I saw that this week too. I was like, he's going to act? Like, well, legit? I, he was just in the, in the advertisement for oh. it. So, opposite Tim Allen, because Tim Allen's supposed oh. to be finding like a replacement. So, yeah, he yeah. was like, they were kind of Could going back Peyton? and forth about it. Yeah. And so he was, I, I can't even remember what the context of it I was like, oh my God, there he is again. So, I see all that. To say, tongue-in-cheek, just hire Peyton Manning if you want to boost your marketing. But really, the broader context I want to have here or want to share here is about hiring talent when mm-hmm. you are trying to do marketing. Because it seems to be an easy way. And I can see how people think it's an easy way when they just like, we'll just pay you know Peyton Manning a million dollars. He'll show up here and he's going to make all of our brand dreams come true, right? And that's not generally what happens, guys. I mean, so generally when you're hiring, especially top caliber talent like that, you are just trying to get an awareness. Yep. Dream. So you want him to use his channels. You want just the popularity of him just to drive some awareness of what you're doing. And for some cases, that can result in some really, really fantastic KPIs. And for you, like for CMAs, they're trying to get viewership, right? Mm-hmm. They just want people to tune in and watch. Is Peyton being part of the CMAs going to improve the credibility, reputation, popularity of country music? Probably not. It's probably not going to do anything to improve no. the brand of country music or the industry of country music. But it probably did get people to tune in to watch the CMAs that maybe not might not have, mm-hmm. at least for a little while. Until Just out of like, curiosity. Oh, this is the, still the CMAs and there's still people singing country music and I don't like country music. So therefore, I'm going to tune out after like a few minutes. Same thing with Tim Allen and, you know, the Santa Claus sequel. They're just trying to get awareness, right? Maybe he'll participate. Maybe he won't participate. Will that get additional viewership? It certainly may or may, you know, may or may not. It probably would. But what I say is like when you're thinking about your brand and you're thinking about your business and you're thinking about whether or not this is a silver bullet for you, I want you to think about two things. One, I want you to think about can your brand exist without it if you start to intrinsically tie it to it? Mm -hmm. So this is what tends to happen is, these, these celebrities become so, or any talent, frankly, become so intrinsically tied to your brand that your brand can't exist without it. So that becomes a problem if that talent becomes too expensive or if that talent decides to opt out for some reason or the talent decides they're going to go to a competitor because they're paying you more. 
The other thing is, is that you have to consider if that talent goes sideways, can your brand survive it? So I think about what happened with Nike, right? When Tiger Woods had his mm-hmm. like major collapse and that became a big, huge issue for Nike. Then they leaned into it for Colin Kaepernick, which is still continuing to be a huge issue for them, right? So they're leveraging this talent in a way to, well, first for, for Tiger, it was a performance-based message, which totally makes sense. Then they dropped him because of what happened. I'm not saying that was right or wrong or whatever, but the Colin Kaepernick one was intentionally chosen to make a stand and make a point, right? I still know people who are refusing to even engage in the brand because of that. So you making your choices, those are your choices to make, but think about what are the implications of those choices and if your brand has the longevity to be able to live without it as well as to be able to overcome anything that might happen with that talent that could negatively reflect on your brand. Yeah. And the only thing I'll say is make sure that you're honest with yourself about what you're trying to achieve by putting that person in there. Yes. Because again, I say silver bullet very intentionally because that's what a lot of people think it is. 100%. And it's 99.9% of the time not going to work. All right. So just to recap, the four beliefs critical in helping women rise in leadership First, we can be good moms and good leaders. Many feel you can only be one, and to even achieve the one, compromises need to be made. This is just not true. Next, as smart, capable, ambitious women, it is our responsibility to rise and pull others up behind us. It's a bit of a catch-22. We need more women at the top in order to get more women at the, to the top, but that is a reality, and it's up to each of us to flip it. Three, we are powerful. If we don't believe in our ability to change the face of business, we are sunk before we've even begun. We need to stand in our power if we expect others to believe we are powerful. And finally, we need to acknowledge where we get in our own way. Sure, there are real challenges to face that are outside of our control, but what we are talking about is what is in our control. Acknowledge it and address it. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day, which is why we offer individual and group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.